All right, who's hungry? Good, some people are hungry. That was great, that video, right? You see all these things up there. Uh, as Honestly, we are starting this brand new series called Reclaimed, and I can't think of a better time to start it. We're going to be talking about resetting the table. You know, when I look back in my life, and I look at the importance of the table, I think about some things that happened at the kitchen table. Had some great meals, some great laughs, right? Like we had some, some good times, probably had some rough times, right? We had some celebrations, but most importantly, we gathered around food, right? And obviously, I mean, I'm working on it, but obviously food is awesome in it, right? Like we've had some things to where we can see that that the table has had some importance. And it's really easy in our, our culture right now to think that, that the table has lost some significance. Because how many of us watch TV and eat our food most of the time? On a TV tray, right? Like, don't we do that sometimes? And then it, it's convenient, right? Like, because my, my dining room chairs just don't feel like the couch cushion, right? Like, am I right? Or the recliner? Or like you have that thing that sits over your lap? And the table kind of has a little bit different significance to you because it, it's a place where you just consume something and then until you get back your next meal, it doesn't really hold a lot of value. But what we're going to talk about in this series is going back to that table. Because in my life, that table, man, got some great memories there. I got some memories of family members that have come and gone. I've got some memories of friends that have come and gone. I've got some memories of, uh, you know I'm going to work it in here, macaroni and cheese and Nanner I mean, come on, seriously, like, you know I'm going to work it in here. I've got some, some great deals there. But most importantly, when I look back, I always think about the memories my family has had around the table. And so now more than ever in this crazy time we've experienced, like this week has been really crazy. I know we've seen, seen some things happening in our schools, some things that are just scary. This world has had some crazy things happen. And what we're trying to do in this series, and it's a God thing, is reclaiming and resetting the table. So today, that's exactly what we're going to talk about. We're going to lay the groundwork to get back to resetting the table. Now, uh, I wish I could tell you I had some food. I was going to try to work a table up here, but I would probably kick it off because that's just how I roll. And y'all know how I get too excited sometimes and I move a lot already. So if I had a table up here, it would have been crazy. But if you ever come to Thursday Night Greenhouse Gathering, I'm telling you, I told you I won't plug it this week. It's going to be great. You're going to see a table in my kitchen. It's a table I grew up eating off of. It's the table that has, like I said, some great memories, some rough memories, but it's got memories. And that table is important to me. It's the table where I eat my meal every week. Every, every morning I have my quiet time here. Every night I, I try to have dinner on it. Usually when that happens around 9, 30 or 10, it seems sometimes in the business world it can get crazy. But that table is important. And so today, that's what we're going to talk about. So when you talk about the history of the table, uh, if you've got your Bible, I'm going to be a little bit all over the place in Scripture. I'm going to try to stay consistent, but I know that we're going to have it on the screen for you if you're watching online or you're watching here. But here's something cool that we just started this week. If, if Does anyone here have the Bible app on their phone at all? Some of the folks have the Bible app on their phone. So if you are to open up your Bible app, or if you're watching online, you can do this too, and you click the More tab, if you have location services on, I'm, I'm giving you a lot of steps, right? Like, go to the More tab, turn on location services, okay? When you do that, you're going to see an event. You're going to see some events near you. And right now, if you look on there, it says the Sunday Worship Experience, the Vine Church. 
So if you have that app, it's actually going to walk you through some of the scriptures we have and we're going through today. So that way, if you're not thumbing through your Bible, maybe you don't know where all these are. That's totally cool. We want to give away and a tool to assist you with those. So if you look there, you're going to see some of the scriptures we have. Uh, and and I, I try to put everyone on there. We try to put everyone on there. We may miss one every now and again, but you're in your Bible app, so you can find it, all right? So uh, today, if you're doing that and that's where you are, I just wanted to give you that tool to know that you can check that out. We're excited about that. We think that's an awesome tool that we can share with you. So here we go. Here we go. So who invented the table? No one in the class knows. I don't know either, but when I look it up, I look it up because I Google it. That's what everybody does, right? Like when I look it up, a lot of folks say the Egyptians invented the table. We look back in history and we see that the Egyptians invented the table. And it's really funny that they did, but God ordained it to be something special. So what's going to be up on the screen here, and I'm reading from the NIV version, is Exodus 25. And if it's on your Bible app, I hope that it is. If it's not, I'm sorry, we might have missed one. But Exodus 25, verse 23 through 30 says this. Make a table of acacia wood, two cubits long, a cubit wide, and a cubit and a half high. Anybody else measuring that right now? Does anybody tell me what that is? It's about three feet long. It's about three feet long. Uh, it is a cubit wide, so two cubits also a, a, a foot and a half wide, and a cubit and a half high, so about two feet tall. So that's a low table, right? Like that's a low table. That's one of those when you go to the awesome places, maybe get some sushi made or something, like you sit down, like it's a low table, right? Like it's really cool, has some great experience, right? But this table is important because God's setting up the importance of ordaining the table right here. But I promise you, maybe when you go home today, I want you to measure your dining room table. I want you to see how far across it is. Without belief. I just say without belief. So we got 12 leaves for your table. That's all right. Without belief. I'm pretty sure it's going to be close to about three to three and a half feet. Very similar to this. It's going to blow your mind. It's crazy. It's crazy. So anyway, uh, I expect a report back this week from everyone that they check their table. Okay. There will be a quiz next week. All right. I'm just kidding. So overlay it with pure gold, make a gold molding around it. Also make around it a rim, a head breadth, ooh, a hand breadth wide, and put a gold molding on the rim. Make your four gold rings for the table and fasten them to the four corners where the four legs are. It's a lot of gold. Then the rings are to be close to the rim to hold the poles used in carrying the table. Make the poles of a case you would overlay them with gold and carry the table with them. And make its plates and dishes of pure gold. Sounds like somebody's china cabinet, right? I'm just saying it's a buffet table somewhere, right? <laughs> or a silver table. Maybe you have that in your house. And make its plates and dishes of pure gold, as well as its pitchers and bowls for the pouring out of offerings. And if you've got gold dishes, I want to invite me over. It's going to be great. <laughs> if you've got some gold dishes. If you do, you've got that's going to be great. Put the bread of presence on the table before me at all times. You see, here's the cool part about the table. Here's what's, what I love about the table. At no point in the table does it say one part of the table is more significant than the other. At one part of the table does it say that, hey, anything crazy should happen. Like, we, we get in later times, like, we always talk about who sits at the head of the table and the foot of the table and where people are. Like, does anybody remember that Thanksgiving thing? Like, when you moved up from the kids' table to the big table? Like, I don't know if anybody remembers those days. Or, or you, your positioning was in line where you could get things. Like, did they take all the macaroni? Good, good, there's a fresh paint. We're good, we're good, right? Like, you had to know those things, right? What God's ordaining in this table is this thing called the, the, the bread of presence on the table. And this is the table in the tabernacle. 
He's telling Moses how to build a table. And the reason that matters and the reason we're going to start with this scripture is we learn that Jesus said he is the bread of life. That's what this represents is the bread in the presence of God. And the importance of the table is that table was always there in front of the presence of God with bread. How crazy is that? So Jesus can always meet us at the table. You see, we're going to talk today how Jesus talked through the table. Jesus taught through food. If you love food, it's going to be a great series. Like, Jesus taught discipleship through those things. And yet, so many times, we've lost the significance of the table. So for all of us to see this, I want you to know why this is important. Because see, in Jewish culture, and in the tabernacle, and even in the temple, and the bread of presence, and the showbread, everything revolves around the table. All these festivals have feasts. All these places they go have food, like Praise God and amen, right? Like, we can have food. It's going to be great to have the covered dish, bring your own social each and every week. And who says no to that? It's like one of the only times you can get a little cocktail weenies outside of a wedding or funeral. You know what I'm saying with the barbecue sauce. Y'all know what I'm Don't judge me. I know y'all are thinking about it. That's the only time you can get that are the Swedish meatballs. Like, you can't do that unless you go to Ikea. I don't have time to always do that. So it's those times that, that I do that, right? Like, those are the times that you have that, the covered dish. And that's what, what God's saying is, hey, remember me. Remember me. Like, when you're eating food, remember me. When you're sitting at this table, you can encounter God. And it made me think, how many times do I sit down at that table and try to encounter God in my life? I wonder if we could all say that. Because when I got that TV on and I'm trying to watch whatever's on and I'm eating, eating whatever off of my TV dinner lap or my TV tray or whatever it is, it's really hard for me to encounter God. But yet I'll look back at when the table was ordained and he said, hey, you always have fresh bread in my presence, in my house, and you will encounter me from the table. Yet so many times in our culture right now, I wonder how many of us would say that we could sit around the table and eat. Rare tradition, right? Maybe at a restaurant, we get to sit around the table. I wonder, I wonder if our communities and our life and our jobs would be different if we... If we just sat down around the table with people who weren't like us and got to know them. I wonder, I wonder if we stopped treating the table like the, the middle school or high school lunchroom where worried, you worried about what crowds you sat with or what clothes was worn or what group you got to be with. I wonder if we just sat down at the table and encountered God, how we would look different. Man, that's what this series is about. And he has been wrecking me through that. Maybe he's going to wreck you through this. I believe he will, but he's been wrecking me through this. How important it is to sit down at the table. So this is kind of like an overview of these next few weeks. And I'm going to take you on a journey, and I'm going to ask you to join me on And I want you to know this. Here's what I want us to do. Through this series, I want us to see God as loving, approachable, and involved. I want us to see God as loving, approachable, and involved. Because it's really, really easy in all the tragedy that's happened to think God is somewhere up here, Right? Like, I think I've heard the question this week more than anything, where is your God in this tragedy? Has anybody else walked through that this week with what's happened in Texas? Like, why would God let this happen? Like, he's this far-off person, right? Like, there's nothing he can do to make a difference, right? But see, we know that he can, and we know that he will. And so through the table, through the food we're going to be eating, through the things we're walking through, I want us to see God in a new way, to see him as a love, loving, approachable, and involve God, not a God that's far away, not a God that I've got to strive to get to, not a God that I've got to work to get to, not a God that I've got to have everything in order, pray the right prayer, say the right thing, do the right thing, dress the right way, 
go to church the right time, do all these things the right way, sit properly in my chair, do all these things, right? Like all these rules and regulations. No, 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 no. We serve a God who is loving, approachable, and involved. And it started with a table. You see, the Bible starts in Genesis. It starts with eating. It says God created man. And he tells Adam, you can have all of this fruit. You can eat from anything. You have dominion over all the birds of the air, the fish in the sea. You have dominion over all things and seed-bearing fruit except this, this one tree. We've been chasing that tree for a long time, haven't we? That's the tree we went after. That We know what happens with that story. We know that that's what leads to Jesus redeeming us. However, in the end, did you know the Bible stops with a feast? It stops with food. It's called the wedding banquet of the Lamb. It's really crazy. So it, God created the heaven and earth. It starts with food. Praise God. Amen. And then one day it's going to end in food. And yet so many times we just take food as consumption and consuming material and don't see that God is involved in it. So that's what we're going to do over these next few weeks. So if you've got your Bibles, I've told you we're in Exodus. We're going to be bouncing around a little bit. But the thing that I want you to grasp the most is from Matthew 5. Excuse me. Matthew 5, verse 6. And what's happening here is Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mountain. And if you've grown up in church or you've heard some things, this is called the Beatitudes. And Matthew 5, verse 6 is actually what we're calling this message today to set the groundwork for the next few weeks leading to Father's Day. And it says this. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Anybody hungry and thirsty today? It's crazy, right? Like, you can be hungry and thirsty. Like, I know in about an hour, because this is Sunday morning, everybody's going to be hungry and thirsty. If you don't believe it, go down to Jason's Deli and see the line out the door. Go down, go down, to, go down to Wade's and see the line out the door. Everybody's going to be hungry and thirsty. But I wonder how many times the way that we treat food for hunger and thirst, we would hunger and thirst for righteousness, how things would look different. And what that means is hungering and thirsting for the Lord. So today's message is titled, Hunger and Thirst. If I had some candy like a parade, I would throw it out to you. And we'd do some crazy stuff. I should have done that. I didn't think of that. Maybe next time I'll bring it through. But today we're going to be talking about hunger and thirst through this thing called the table. You see, I just started out saying, what if we hungered and thirsted for God? You ever just crave something? say Chick-fil-A, but it is, because it ain't open today. I just crave it. Or the hot now at Krispy Kreme, and you drive by, and it's not hot now. Like, don't, don't you just crave that? What happens when you have a craving? Man, you'll fight to get it, right? Like, you'll find a way, and nothing's going to satisfy if you've got a craving. Now, I've never been pregnant, obviously, but I hear that a lot in pregnancies. You know, you crave something. You crave weird things. I hear from friends who have been pregnant or have had children, like, you crave something, like, you've got to have it. Like pickles and ice cream, or, or, or uh, I don't know. I don't know what else you would mix. But things that you would never mix before. Things you didn't like before. But you crave it. You know, the same spills over, not just with food. The same will spill over like, hey, if you crave to have a healthy lifestyle, you'll probably go get it. I'm working on that craving. But if you crave to have a healthy lifestyle, you'll probably go get it. If you, if, if you crave to get up at a certain time, you'll probably do it. You don't have to set the alarm clock. It's not a struggle to do it because you crave it. You want it. Like, if you see something you want, most of the time in our culture and in our world, we go get it, right? 
Am I the only one that feels that way? Like if I want something and I crave it, the beauty of what we live in is I can go get it. Now it's going to cost me something, but I can go get it. But see, here's the thing. I wonder if we hungered and thirsted for the Lord and we craved him, I wonder if we would encounter him in a different way. I wonder if my craving for that peanut butter chocolate, praise God for Reese's Cups, like I wonder if, 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 I, if I craved God like that in the morning, would I get to meet him at my table? Would I see him in a new way? Or would I think that it's just something that i got to throw a few Hail Marys up to and see if it goes through? And I can try to petition him, and I can beg him to do things on my behalf, but I don't really ask him what he's calling me to do. And I don't hunger and thirst for him. I just, I just want to get through the day. I wonder if I hungered and thirsted for him how it would look different. I wonder if we hungered and thirsted for the Lord how our community would look different. I wonder how the tragedies that we walk through, if we hungered and thirsted for the Lord, would be completely different because somebody wouldn't feel left out. Somebody would know that somebody's walking with them. Somebody would know that they're not alone no matter what they're going through. Because it means the world's going to be perfect. Testament, the Old Testament, all throughout it, the Jews used food to remember who God is. When he sets up festivals, like we, we just got through Easter not too long ago, and we talked about the Pentecost, and we talked about how Easter is there, and, or excuse me, the Passover, and how Easter is there, and there was a Passover lamb that was prepared, cooked, and ate. We've talked, you, a lot of times you hear of a Passover Seder at this time frame, right? Like we walk through that, you hear of Hanukkah, that's a festival that, that the Jewish tradition is, and they're celebrating they're celebrating the, their seven festivals. And there's seven total. I, I would wish I could rip them off to you right now, but it's escaping me. Seven total festivals that they walk through. And here they go. And it's always wrapped around food. And it made me think, I wonder why. I wonder why. Because that's how they remember who God is. Because see, it's not just the food that happens. Every one of those times they go to these festivals, God says, remember what I saved you from. Hey, when your son asks... When your son asks what this Passover lamb represents, let him know this is when our people were in Egypt and I set you free. It's when all the firstborns were out there. And, and, and if you had the blood of the lamb of the door on your doorpost, you were saved when you do that. Remember, by God's mighty hand, I saved you. Yet so many times we just think, yeah, man, I'll have a uh, four for four at Wendy's. I'll pick that up right quick and I'll just go make it happen. I don't know if they have that. Is that what it is? Is it Wendy's? I don't know if they're... Wendy's and McDonald's are still fighting each other. I don't know what's happening. Um, whatever that is. And, and we just consume it. And we think nothing of God. And we think nothing of how it was prepared. And nothing of how it was done. But see, in the Jewish culture, it revolved around it. Because have you ever just really sat down with your family? Like when you think about Thanksgiving and Christmas, is it really about the food? Or is it about what happens around the food? See, we forgot about that. We've forgotten the table. We've forgotten about it. All we care about is, oh, God, I've got to go get this done. I, I'm as guilty as everyone. I, I'm preaching to myself here today. Oh, gosh, i got to go get all this done. I have to go today. Hurry up. I asked him for a refill for my water like 20 minutes ago. I don't know what the world's happening in my life. And I'm so stuck on that water that I've forgotten about the precious moments that I have with those that I love. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, so many times we don't hunger and thirst for that. And, and if, if we hunger and thirst for God who loves us, that he sent his only son, do we not think that he would encounter, have an encounter with us? Do we not think that we would see him in any way? Or do we just think, 
Starbucks or McDonald's. We're not really supposed to eat here in a minute. Guilty as charged on all that a lot of times. I don't do that well. I don't do that well. But when you get me around the table, it's a good time. But I don't do that well. I don't do it well. But if I hunger and thirst for the Lord inside of that meeting, it's crazy the things that happen. Because sometimes it'll be like, I don't know. Have you ever just sat around the table and said, I don't know why I'm telling you this, but something's telling me to tell you this today. I'm struggling with this. It happens around that table. Somebody says, hey, I don't know about you, but I just feel like I need to tell you, you're doing great. You're doing awesome. Like, you look great. Have you been losing weight? As I eat the all-you-can-eat buffet. Yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> don't you have that? Somebody just those encounters, those moments where you're with someone. Same thing's going to be true for God. You just hunger and thirst with him at the table. You see, Jesus in the New Testament always taught his disciples around food. Like one of the, the first miracles we hear about in the Bible, I'm not going to get emails because I'm not that cool, but one day I will. The first miracle you hear about in the Bible is Jesus turning the water into wine, right? Where was that at? The royal wedding with Prince William and Harry and whoever else, right? No, I'm just kidding. It was at a wedding banquet. They were eating food. They were eating food. When Jesus is sitting there, and we, we talked about this not too long ago, he says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. Come down from that tree so that I can eat with you. When Jesus is with the Pharisees, when he's with Mary and Martha, he's looking at the disciples and saying, hey, don't worry about what seat you have at the table. Just be excited that you get to be at the table, and you will be honored because of me. Like, he is discipling people around the table. And one of the things we just celebrated not too long ago is the communion, right? When we talk about communion, and the Last Supper was around the table. The discipleship happens around the table. And yet so many times we neglect the table for a bag, a brown bag, or a box of hot nouns. Because they got a new flavor. It's peanut butter and chocolate. You can't say that right. Like, they got a new flavor, right? But we neglect the table. And what we need to get back to, and I'm going to ask you over these next four weeks to join me with, is gathering around the table. And the first way that you do that is involve God in your daily conversations. Involve God in your daily conversations. Get a table somewhere and involve God in your daily conversations. For four weeks, go on this journey with me. For four weeks, all the way to Father's Day, involve God in your daily conversations. Now, this is where you expect me to give you this long, drawn-out list of how to do it, right? Like, okay, you ready? Here's the 30 checkpoints. Are we ready? Everybody's excited. This is great. No, no, no. Seriously, seriously. You say, I don't, I don't know how to involve God in my daily conversations. This simple. Say a prayer. Prayer is this simple. Jesus, use me today to make your name more famous. Amen. Ask that every day over the next four weeks. If you don't know what to pray and you don't know how to pray, pray that prayer. I promise you, you'll come out much different. I promise you, if you'll sit there and wait and listen around the table, Jesus will do something in you that you've never seen before. Because it's not about you, it's about encountering him. So if you don't know how to pray, maybe you're watching online or maybe you're here and you don't know how to pray, I'm just going to ask you to say that prayer. Say that prayer. I'm not telling you you got to read 12 verses of Scripture. I'm going to tell you we're going to do Bible reading plan. You can read them all. That's awesome. I'm sure if you're compelled to, you'll jump in and do that. But if you'll just pray that prayer and involve God daily in your conversation. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. I'm going to be, I'm going to be real with you here. I'm not going to give you a pass. We're going to talk about this at the end either. When I say that, don't pray that prayer like tying your sheet under the table so your friends don't see. You know, like all of a sudden that it's you. Make you famous, Jesus. Don't be doing that face stuff. Like, be real. Just pray that prayer. Like, 
Don't be trying to get out of it, worried about what your friends think. Just sit down and pray that prayer. That means at work, we are having lunch. Pray it that simply. That means at dinner, pray it that simply. Doesn't have to be this crazy thing. Just pray that. Say, Jesus, use me today to make you more famous. That's it. If you'll do that over the next four weeks, I promise you, something, something inside of you will be stirred and something inside of you will be different. And if you do it around the table, it'll be even better. It'll be even better. Right now, you're all visualizing a table right now. It might be on sale at Unclaimed Furniture or whatever it is. Shameless plug. Uh, wherever it is, go pick it up. <laughs> go pick it up and encounter God around that table. We're going to continue on in this story. Uh, and over these next few weeks, I'm going to give you a couple more things if you'll go on this journey with me that's going to set up these next three weeks as we're talking about hunger and thirsting for righteousness and being reclaimed and resetting the table. If you know anything about me, you know I love Joshua. That's my dude. Like, that's going in the promised land. Like, Joshua's my boy. I don't know why. If there was anybody I think that would be cool to me, to me, I can't wait to meet Joshua. Because, like, he goes straight into the promised land. He, he, he's afraid. And God has to remind him to be strong and courageous. But he just goes in slaying people. Like, I imagine it's like a Braveheart movie. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, he just goes in. Like, just goes crazy. It's awesome. And he gets to see some crazy cool things. But one of the things we use a lot, and a verse we use a lot, that revolves around the table is this for Joshua 24, 15 says this. It's one of those that most of us probably have a plaque somewhere that was given to us or, or have heard this verse before. And Joshua's talking about to Israel after they've gone into the promised land. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors who served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are now living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. You know, when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we're standing on that statement saying, it's not the food that I'm worshiping. It's not the idol of work that I'm worshiping, the television, the phone screen. I'm not worshiping that. I'm building my house on the rock that is Jesus. And as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And you know how we serve the Lord? We just make his name famous. We say, Jesus, use me to make your name famous. And whatever he calls us to do, we do. If it means giving to that person who's got the sign that's homeless, Five dollars, give them five dollars. Just be obedient. You won't regret it. Who cares what they do with it? That ain't up to you. Is this up to you to be obedient? If it's if it's talking to that friend at work, everybody makes fun of, talk to them. Talk to them. Say, hey, see what's going on. You might be shocked. If it's to the person that everybody hates, pray for them. <laughs> pray for them. I'll take your prayers. I'm sure that parents don't always like me. I'll take your prayers. Pray for that person. Pray for them. But when you do that, you're saying, me and my house, we will serve the Lord. David describes it like this in Psalm 42, verse 1 through 3. It's one of the really cool things that actually popped up in my reading this morning. Psalm 42, verse 1 through 3 says this. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. I wish I could write like that. Isn't that just such great imagery? It doesn't say as the deer pants for headlights in the middle of the night and I'm honking my horn at it, so I hit it with my car. It says... <laughs> as a deer pants for streams of water. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? And this is something I really, as God was getting ready for this, it's crazy to think that we've walked through this week because I've been wrecked a little bit this week with, with what's happened in our schools and because my tears have been my food day and night. While people say to me, See, the crazy thing is I know God's right here. 
I, I thirst and hunger for him daily. And I, I, I hunger for him because I know there's a world that's searching, trying to fill this hole that no one can fill but Jesus. And if he is encountered, it's not about right and wrong. It's about pursuing righteousness, being hungry and thirsty for him. It's not about making the right and wrong choice at that moment in time. Because when you're pursuing righteousness, you're going to make the right choice. You're going to do the right thing. Just like Joshua says, as for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. Like David's saying here, even though I'm in this crazy circumstance where my tears have been my food day and night, maybe I need to go on that plan sometimes. I don't know what happened. I've been there when I've been stressed. I don't know about you, but you ever been stressed or maybe you've walked through sorrow. You've been there. You don't feel like eating. You don't feel like anything. David goes on to describe that in Psalm 42 about how God is everywhere he goes, whether it's, whether it's out to the town or whether it's in the deepest, darkest depths. God is with him. So I want to ask you this. First thing, involve God in your daily conversations. The second thing is seek God daily as a family. Woo, make sure I don't call it there. Seek God daily as a family. Now here's the 30-point checklist. Singles, you're not off the hook on this. Married couples, you're not off the hook on this. If you don't have kids, you're not off the hook. Don't, don't. If you're in college, you're not off the hook. I want to tell you. Don't, don't think that because I don't have a family that I can't seek God daily as a family. you got a family right here. You're worshiping with them right now. You can seek God daily as a family. And I want to tell you why that's important. There's been some research that said, uh, regardless of probably what the TV shows tell you, 95% uh, of Amish people remain Amish. Did you know that? Isn't that crazy? 95% of Amish people remain Amish. Now, when you go up there, and if you go to Pennsylvania, I haven't gotten to be there. I, I, I haven't gotten to see that yet. I think it's really cool. I remember learning about the Amish in middle school. I remember how cool that was. But 95% of them stay Amish. And the studies have shown it's not because of the rules or regulations. There's nothing wrong with it. It's they have two meals a day together. It's two meals a day. That's what the studies have shown. Now, hey, I, I haven't gotten to do anything. I just remember studying. But I wonder what would happen to us if we had two meals a day with our family. I wonder what would happen to us if we could gather around the table and talk with our family for two meals a day. I wonder what, what we could instill in our children. I wonder what we could instill in, in our friends if we could have two meals a day together. I'm lucky enough to have one meal that ain't strung out half the time, much less two meals together. But in the Amish culture, they have that. They have that sense of family and community, and that's amazing. I wonder what would happen in church if 95% of people that walked into church doors stayed inside the church. What if it revolved around meals? I wonder how the world would look different. I wonder how children who are abused and neglected would feel to know that they have a safe place to go. Instead of having to lash out against someone who's harmed them. Instead of lashing out against rejection. If they could just sit down at a table and tell somebody, hey, this is how I feel. You know, it's not just, it's not just the Amish culture that's, that, that's cool to learn about this. Of all people, the Jewish people. You know I'm going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the Old Testament. Jewish people own half, half of the Nobel Peace Prizes. 50%. Isn't that crazy? They're just such a peaceful people. Anybody seen what happened when we moved the embassy to Jerusalem? <laughs> There's been some crazy things happening. That doesn't seem like peace, right? Like we've been fighting for peace in the Middle East for a long time, right? It's not because they're so peaceful. It's honestly the studies have shown, once again, they eat a meal one time a day as a family. And they celebrate the seven festivals together as a family. And they recall what's happened in their life. You see, I wonder what would happen to us with that. Oh, and 
quick fact about that, I was looking up the population of the Jewish people. I thought, well, maybe, maybe it's because they have the biggest population in the world, right? I see some smirks. Some people know. 0.2% of the population of the world are Jewish people. 14 million people are Jewish people. And they own 50% of the Nobel Peace Prize. Isn't that nuts? The sense of community matters. You see, I believe this, and, I, and I'll tell you, this is what I stand on, and it started in the tabernacle with that table. God has given us the table to disciple each other. If you've got a family or you've got friends, you've got a table to get around to say, hey, this is a moment where God called me to do something and I disobeyed him. He clearly called me to go left and I went right and said, catch me if you can. Oh, he called me. Like I said, catch me if you can, right? Like this is where I clearly disobeyed God. But by his grace and mercy, I'm still here. This is where I clearly disobeyed God. Around the table is where I can say, hey, this is where I clearly obeyed God. He told me to go. I took that step to go. And all of a sudden, I went and I saw things I never thought I would ever see. And I can also stand and say, hey, this is where I'm still waiting on God. I don't have it figured out. I don't know what's going on, but this is where I'm still waiting on Him. See, that can happen around the table. You see, I wonder where I've not wanted that. And I put my cards on the table. I don't know if my niece and nephew know my story. I don't know if they know where I've disobeyed God. I don't know if anybody who's a God child of mine knows where I've disobeyed God and obeyed God and where I'm waiting on. I don't know if all of my friends around the table can know, hey, this is where, hey, this is God, this is where I'm waiting on God to move. Because he's waiting on him to move. Hey, this is where I went left when he called me to go right. This is where I obeyed. See, what I love about the Jewish culture, and I love and it's shown all throughout the Old Testament, is they forgot their story. They forgot their story. What I would love to know is, when I'm long gone and called to heaven, everybody knows my story. Everybody knows where I went wrong, that I loved. Everybody knows where I got it right, and that's pursuing righteousness. And everybody knows where, maybe even as he called me home, I was still waiting on him to move. But I trusted him. You see, we have the opportunity to do that right now, around the table with our family, with our friends, with the people we love. Shameless plug, Thursday nights, we get to talk about that. If you want to come hang out with us at the Greenhouse Gathering. I wish I could say we were perfect at that, but it's probably the leader that we're working on. But as he talks through that, I want you to know we're going to be talking through that over the next week. Hey, this is my story. When I look throughout the New Testament and I look at the church, hey, I can give you, I'm going to give you all these Bible scriptures and I can tell you all these things. But it doesn't impact you like my story. Neither will what you have to show. Because when I'm walking through a trial, I understand what John 3.16 says. I've seen it on every NFL school board for my whole life growing up. But what I want to know is how he's moved in you and how he's changed you. And you want to know how he's changed me. Because there's nothing more than that that affects someone. And that can happen around the table. So... Matthew 6.33. And then we're almost done. Hang in there with me. We're almost done. Matthew 6.33. You know, growing up, how many of us had Backyard Bible Club? Yes, I'm that kid. Or BBS. Remember those days? So, we used to have a song that went like this. It was, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Y'all remember that song? It was terrible. I should have had David sing it. I told y'all I can't sing. So, and his righteousness. And all these things will be given unto you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Seeking first his kingdom and his 
righteousness. You know I'm not a prosperity gospel guy, so I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that the can't, you're going to be cancer-free tomorrow just because you saw the kingdom of God first. I'm not going to tell you that your financial woes are going to be gone tomorrow because you saw the kingdom of God first. I'm not going to tell you the trial or storm you're in is going to be gone tomorrow because you saw God first. But I promise you the thing that he will add to you is a joy and peace that surpasses all understanding if you'll seek him first. But so many times in my life, I don't seek him first because I don't go to the table first and I don't seek and hunger and thirst for righteousness. I hunger and thirst for what my refrigerator holds, not what God has for me. And so many times in our life, that's temporary. That does not satisfy. It will not fill you, and it's only going to leave you longing for more. The world is walking through that. Those children who are going into schools, killing people, are searching for that. They're hungering and thirsting for the wrong thing. And what we have, we can share with them. I wonder if somebody would have just invited him to the table, how his life would have been different. Secondly, we're going to seek God daily as a family. The third thing we're going to do is we're going to say we're a Christ-centered home. We're not a perfect home. We just seek the one who is perfect. So let me tell you the difference. And so, so if you have parents, I'm not giving you a free pass here. I want you to listen to what I'm saying and, and, and hear it really, really well. When you're a Christ-centered home and you're pursuing righteousness, it's not about rules and regulations. It's about pursuing righteousness. Will you be disciplined if you break the rules? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because that's a picture of God. If, I, if he calls me to go left and I go right, he's already paid the debt of my sin, but there are probably going to be consequences for it. But when I say I'm a Christian home, there are two types of Christianity sometimes. Let's be real. Most of the time. There are those that are very legalistic, very rules-driven, very you won't do this, you can't do this. And now how many of us, when we heard you can't, said, okay, I can. Depends on your personality, right? I was that kid most of the time, not always, but most of the time, right? That don't mean I had it together. That's just when I messed up, I messed up bad. But that don't mean I had it together, right? Like when you hear you can't, you want to fight it. Like that's your rebellious spirit. But when you say pursue Jesus, hey, what is, I wonder how many times in my life somebody just would have looked at me and said, hey, what's Jesus telling you to do? <laughs> Completely changes whether I follow the rules or not, right? Because if odds are, I'm probably going to listen to what I was told if I'm especially if I got parents in my life or I have some accountability in my life. Odds are somebody says, hey, what's Jesus telling you to do? It's not about right and wrong. I'm pursuing righteousness. And if Jesus is telling me to do it, I got to trust it no matter what it is. Even if it don't make sense, I've got to do it. But yeah, so many times we set up our homes to be this legalistic home and we think that rules are what's going to change everything. And they're not. Rules are in place for safety. Rules are in place to make sure that you have guardrails in place so that you can get to your destination better and in a better spirit. But most of the time, if your whole life is set up on rules, you're going to think God is a God of rules, and that's not the God that we have. We have a God of grace and mercy, that when we pursue Him, pursue Him, we're completely different. The next one is even worse, the lukewarm Christian home. Yeah, we go to church every now and again. We'll make it happen, right? Or, hey, I pray for Him. 
and you give the shade after, you know, you get, I prayed for him with the rolled eyes, whatever that emotion is. I prayed for him. Like, you know, no big deal, man. No, I'm just kidding. You know, I prayed for him. Or, or you know, that, that's not the Christian thing to do. Ain't that the little more? Don't we hear that a lot of times from the people that definitely don't follow what Jesus says? <laughs> they tell you about the Christian thing. That's the lukewarm Christian. And Jesus tells us in Revelation, hey, either you're hot or you're cold. If you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out. So I, I, I obviously have children. speaking of reading the word, I would love to say that I have a Christ-centered home, not a Christian home. Because when Christ is at the center, it's so much more important and it's so much better than it is if I'm doing it on my own, saying that I have a Christian home. Because when the world hears Christian home, they, they, they go to those two things too. They think fake looks like everything's great on social media and it ain't. Or they look like they're judging me. They're judging what I'm wearing. They're judging how I look. They're judging how I feel. Like when I hear that, even now, I feel that way too when I hear that, right? So for the next few weeks, I'm just going to ask you to rally around this thing that says we are a Christ-centered home. And I'm going to ask you to do that by doing this. It's actually going to be a 30-day challenge. This is how we're going to end up today. It's a 30-day challenge. Then we're going to have our song and, and have invitation here. We're going to have worship. But over the next 30 days, I'm going to ask you to do this. I'm going to ask you to pray over every meal and eat three meals a week as a family. Pray over every meal, with or without your family. And it can be a simple prayer. I'm going to add one thing to it. You don't have to follow it. Jesus used me to make your name famous. Thank you for this food. And if you're like me, you pray for zero calories. Whatever that looks like. Jesus, <laughs> thank you for this food. This bountiful feast. I'm just kidding. You don't have to have that. And all that TH is at the end. That would do with, you know, I Jesus for the food. No shoestring prayers either. Don't be gypped. When you're in McDonald's and you get that sack lunch, <laughs> you better thank Jesus for that big bag. Whatever it looks like. Pray over every meal over the next 30 days. I'm going to ask you to eat at least three family meals together at the table each week. I'm going to give you one freebie. It happens on Thursday nights at 625. It's called our greenhouse gathering. We're going to eat at a table as a family. It's a family. It's not about one church, it's about a family coming together. It's a family. We're going to eat together as a family. Over the next four weeks leading up to Father's Day, the next 30 days. And I'm going to ask you to do the same. So if you come to Thursday night greenhouse gathering, you only got two meals with family. And if you don't like your family, then maybe you can pick a different chair at the Thursday night greenhouse gathering where you don't have to sit with them, whatever that looks like in your life. We have two meals. Most of us eat three to four times a day or two times a day. So let's say two times a day is all we eat. It's 14 meals a week. I'm just asking you to give three to God and eat with your family around the table and pray over that meal. Most of us are about to eat with our family here in just a second, so you might be down to one. You might be down to one. But just trust God to do that. And what if we reset and reclaim the table? Here's the thing I'm going to tell you because this is real hard for me too. So I've been, I'm the biggest defender. Trust that whatever it is, Jesus will let it play through over the next 30 days. Can we do that? It's the groundwork. Can we do that? Can we bring back the importance of the table? Can we re 
set the table of what God had, had, what he intended it to be. A moment to encounter him. Can we look at the food that we encounter and see that, hey, this reminds me of God. This reminds me of his blessing. This reminds me of him filling me. This reminds me of his nourishment, of him providing no matter what. Like, he is the one who is in charge. And can we look at the table to remember those who are the least, the lonely, and the lost? And invite them to come be a part of it. Invite them. Because there's probably one more chair at the table. I want to bet. If you come on Thursday night, there's like 12 chairs. You <laughs> there's three different tables that we're probably going to be eating around. So just know there's a lot of chairs uh, to eat around. So if you want to be a part of that, come hang out with us on Thursday night. Just to worship Jesus like he is who he says he is. Will you trust him for that? We're going to have something here at the very end, but I'm going to ask you this. As he's preparing your heart over these next 30 days, ask him what he would have for you. Ask him in this moment, Jesus, use me to make your name famous. What would you have for me? And I just pray that you would worship like you hungry and thirsty. Like you would worship like that hot. summer bod ready, but who, who can't say no to original glaze hot now? Come on, seriously. You don't even have to chew them. They just fall down. Like, you know what I mean? Like, they just they go straight down. They just melt in your mouth, not in your hand. You know, those kind of things. So ask Jesus what he would have you do. As David and, and Marla come up to get ready for this last song, I pray, and I'm asking you just to worship like you hunger and thirst for righteousness. If you want to go ahead and stand to your feet for this last song.
So as we end up today, here at the very end, you know, I've been talking about peace and I've been talking about family and it'd be crazy to say that none of us all struggle with that. Sometimes we struggle with peace, sometimes we struggle with family and, and, and here's the thing, maybe it's because we're trying to do it on our own. I'm not saying that family's perfect because people are messy, I'm messy, we're all messy. You see, God loved us enough to not leave us a mess. Revelations 3.20, Jesus talks about this, about being at the table. And a lot of us right now in this moment, like, our heart is probably beating and, and, and it just feels different. There's something that different, that's different about it. Jesus says in Revelation 3.20, here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. Right now, maybe your peace is shattered, your, your, your hope is shattered, your joy is shattered, and you're struggling. But you can't look back on your life and say that there's ever been a time that you gave it to Jesus, that you gave it all to Jesus. It wasn't just, hey, I'm trying to figure it out in this moment. Hey, hey, I'm just trying to get through the day. Hey, God, you know, sometimes it's that Hail Mary prayer. If you'll just fix this, I swear I'll come to you. Well, maybe today is your day. Your heart's beating. It feels different. And I'm telling you, it's the Spirit. It's Jesus knocking on the door. And he says, if you, if you open the door, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, this world. 
up, no Clorox bleach, no, no Febreze, no anything. We can't clean up our mess. Only Jesus can. And when he stands and knocks at the door, if we will open it and receive him as the gift that he says he is, that he is the only one that can clean up our mess. He is the only one that stands in the way of our sin to have a relationship where we can come and sit and eat with the Father, the very creator of the universe. Because we can't do it by ourselves. And it's, this, it's that simple. Receiving Jesus as he is who he says he is. So with every head bowed and every eye closed here, we do this every week because nobody prays alone in this house. I want to tell you, it's not the words of this prayer. It's not the words of this prayer. It's opening the door that Jesus is who he says he is. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask everybody to repeat the words of this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I believe I'm a sinner separated from you. I believe you died for my sins but rose again on the third day. Come take over my life. Teach me to follow you step by step the best way I know how the rest of my life. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, if it's the first time you've opened the door to let Jesus in to take over your life, I want to count to three. If that's you for the first time you've prayed with faith, I want to ask you to boldly raise your hand. If you're online, comment wherever you are. We want to celebrate with you. So I want to count to three. One, two, three. If you can say for the first time with faith, with faith that you open the door to let Jesus in. Thank you. Maybe, maybe you're in the middle of the week and you're online or you're driving to work and, and for the first time you've prayed that prayer, we want to celebrate with you. If you'll just reach out to us at hello at divine.tv or prayer at divine.tv or send us a message at 864-580-6698. We would love to celebrate with and as we get to the very end, we do this every week. As you see, as, I, as I'm standing in this house, I see the arms are around each other. We're going to, we pray as a family together. Because this re reclaimed, this resetting the table that we have isn't just about a series. It's about family. And so we pray as a family. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to lead us in closing prayer. Say, dear Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity that we get to live and get to know I pray that everything we do would make your name famous. I would be crazy to think that all of us have it together because we came to you broken and you made us whole, but we still have this journey that's called life and we're still here to get to follow you step by step. But you put people in our path who need to hear what you have done in our life, what you have done when we've disobeyed you, what you have done when we've obeyed you, and we're still waiting for you and how you've given us peace in the waiting. So I pray that over these next few weeks, Jesus, that we would take you at your word. And that when we're hungry and thirsty for righteousness for you, that we will be filled. Jesus, give us the boldness in that. Use us to bring your name fame. We love you, Lord. It's your name we pray. Amen. Y'all have a great week. If you're new online or you're new here, join me in the garden. Or if you need prayer, we would love to hang out with you. Uh, please come see us. If you need prayer online, reach out to us at prayer at the bond.tv. We can't wait to see you next week as we continue our series called Reclaim.